0: Said when I was yet in my country, This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind when the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? and also much cattle? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today with thankfulness. We are thankful that you show mercy and grace to sinful and stubborn people, for without your mercy and grace, we have no hope. Father, it is easy to look at the life of Jonah and point a finger at his disobedience and lack of love for the lost. But Lord, if we're honest, looking at Jonah's life is like looking in a mirror. Father, I confess that we often have no concern for your glory and no compassion for the lost. We see people all around us who are facing eternal destruction and we are content to pursue our own comfort and pleasure. Father, as we look at Jonah, it is easy to think how foolish it is for him to be so upset about a plant but have no concern with a city full of lost people. But Lord, I fear we are no better. We get caught up and consumed in things that have no eternal value. Meanwhile, we ignore the condition of those around us. Oh, Lord, we often show more passion for sports and entertainment, rest, relaxation, and comfort instead of your kingdom. Lord, forgive us for often leaving our first love. Please have mercy on us and give us a renewed passion for you and your glory and your kingdom. Ignite in our hearts compassion and care for the lost. Lord, you said if we love you, we will keep your commandments. So when we are disobedient about seeking your kingdom, It stems from a lack of love for you. Father, please increase our love. Please fan the flames of our love for you into a fire that will consume our love of worldly and trivial things. Lord, you said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Fill our hearts with love for Christ and passion for your gospel so that we would be like the early church who couldn't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Now, Lord, as Brad comes to preach your word, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand your word. I pray that your spirit would apply your word to our hearts. Please don't let any leave here unchanged by your word. I pray that you would save the lost and sanctify your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: This morning as we complete our study of the book of Jonah, I want to challenge you to think about something. How, how do you read a passage or a book like this? How do you read the book of Jonah? And I really want you to examine yourself. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. or I, I want you to think about what goes on in your head and your heart as you read a story like Jonah. Do you read it primarily as a historical yet sacred book? that we could infer and draw some lessons from some moral lessons or learn something about the nature and character of God. That's true, but the Lord, as we read these books and as we look at the examples of the prophets and those who've gone before us, it is not just for us to draw out moral lessons or to learn something about the character of God. God wishes to teach you something about yourself. He wishes to teach us something about ourselves that there's something in the heart of Jonah that is applicable to your heart and mine. The reason Jonah is given to us as an example is because we're like Jonah. God is always the same. He deals with us with exceeding mercy like he does for Jonah. So I want to ask you this morning as we sort of put ourselves in this place and we say, is there anything that God would say to Jonah that he would say to me, to us? To me as an individual, to us as a church, to us as a country maybe. Have things really changed that much since the days of Jonah? Jonah's reason for leaving for Tarshish is pretty simple. He did not like Nineveh. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel and Jonah hated them. Jonah did not want the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, to receive mercy. He wanted them to be destroyed. We see this again in the Gospels, do we not? When the town did not receive Jesus, James and John wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven and consume them. Jonah wanted these people to destroy. He wanted Israel to receive mercy. He did not want Assyria to receive mercy. And so here's the question. Is there anything in Jonah's attitude towards this foreign nation that would parallel our own thought, your thought, as an individual towards foreign nations? Is there anything in Jonah, his attitude towards foreign nations, foreign peoples, that would reflect our attitude as a people towards foreign nations and foreign peoples? It's easy for us to stand outside the pouting prophet and see him there mad that God has saved Nineveh and think what a hypocrite he is. But if we never take that lesson and turn it to our heart and say, am I a Jonah too? and we will fail to learn all that we can from this story and from God's Word. I really love uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. It sticks with me in my head. It sticks with me in my head because of the contrast between the English and the Hebrew. And I'm not going to bore you with the original language kind of stuff, but I'm just going to tell you that in English we've made it sound very uh, amazing. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious, is what the Christian Standard Bible says. In Hebrew, it says that Jonah got mad, a big mad. He got a mad gedola. It was a big mad. Jonah was having a fit. There was no way for this to be uh, emphasized more than it is. He was furious. When he figured out that he had preached in Nineveh, the people had repented, and that God was going to relent from the disaster to come. He was livid. We know why Jonah ran away in the first place, because this exact scenario was Jonah's nightmare. He was afraid if he went and preached to the people of Nineveh that they might repent, and he knew if they did that God would spare them. And that was the thing Jonah did not want. The salvation of the people of Nineveh was the last thing that he wanted. Jonah wanted to see Nineveh get what was coming to him. He wanted them to suffer. So ask yourself this question. How did Jonah get to this place? How did he get to a place in his life where he could care less about 120,000 people about to perish under the wrath of God? How did he get to a place where the lives of those men, women, and children not only did not bother him, he wasn't apathetic, he actively wanted them to be destroyed. Perhaps he knew as a prophet of God that Assyria was going to be used by God to come and judge Israel. That it would be Assyria who would come and destroy the people of God. Maybe he was hoping that God would do a preemptive judgment strike against Assyria and that disaster against Israel would be relented. What we just know is that he hated the Ninevites and he did not want God to forgive them. So Jonah was a tribal man. He had a tribal mindset. He thought that the people of Israel should receive mercy... ...but he thought others should not. He was pro-Israel. He was pro-mercy for Israel. He wanted Israel to be great. He did not want this for Nineveh. He was jealous more for his own people... ...than he was for God's glory. He was more jealous for the people of Israel then he was zealous for God's love of the world. He was so concentrated on what he thought was good for his people that he was willing for other people to suffer so that his people might enjoy good. Are we so different? Has anything changed for the people of God? Are you, I wonder, a tribalist, a racist, Are there people who, because their ethnicity or their color or their language, for you immediately puts up barriers that you think certain things about them that you would not think of someone who looked, talked, and acted like yourself? Is this a problem that has continued throughout history since the time of Jonah until now? Of course it is. See, Jonah's hatred of the other is not just a historical story that we might learn something about Jonah And just some moral lesson. God is saying, are you tribal like Jonah? Do you harbor ill will in your heart towards other people simply because they don't look or act like you? Are you afraid of losing what is good for you because someone who's not like you might come take it? Why do you think this prejudice exists not only in our heart but in the heart of our culture and in our nation? Isn't it because, just like Jonah, we think more highly of our own people group than we do of others, the familiar? That there is a pride mixed in that that is wrong and hinders our mission to not only the nations abroad but the nations at home. Is it fine for you to think of a trip to Mexico City to evangelize the lost but not to parts of Albertville? is your first concern when you see someone of color in town whether or not they should be here or not. Because they are here, and what is our duty? I could go on and on about how prejudice and racism has affected our country, our land, even to this day. It is not hard to see for those who have eyes to see it. And how even to this day minorities in our country are affected by this. This is not so far removed from the attitude that Jonah had Towards Nineveh, But my point this morning is not just to make all of those historical sins clear. It is to make clear that we are like Jonah. And so the remedy for us is the same remedy as it would be for Jonah. That he's being a fool. That he is more concerned about his own kingdom than he is for the kingdom of God. Like when Peter rebuked Jesus and said, These things will never happen to you. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. For you have on your mind the things of the kingdom of man and not the things of the kingdom of God. We do not look at things like God sees things. We do not see people as God sees people, though he tells us that each person is made in the image of God, no matter how great, no matter how small. That every single person is fashioned and formed in the image of our Creator. And are therefore deserving of our honor respect, mercy, and care. So Jonah's anger here seems foolish, and it is. But what of ours and our own blindness to our own prejudice? I want you to understand this morning, we are not innocent observers of God's prejudiced prophet we are participants in the prophet's sin when we refuse to care for the well-being of others outside of our own ethnic boundary. So Jonah is angry, and he says he would rather die. God, take my life from me, verse 3, for it is better to me to live, to die than to live. And the Lord asks Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah does not answer. Instead, he goes to the east and he builds for himself a little hut, and he sits and he looks at the city of Nineveh with with the hope, it says, to see what would happen. He still has that hope that God is going to bring destruction on the people, and so he's sitting there watching and hoping. And so I want you to think about the question that God asked to Jonah here, is it right for you to be angry? And I want you to think about what happens when God asks us questions. We serve a God who knows everything. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. When he asks a question, he most certainly knows the answer to it. So when you see a question that God asks in the Bible, know this, he is not seeking the answer for himself. He's trying to get us to answer the question. Adam, where are you? He knew where he was. And he's not just asking, are you hiding behind a tree, behind fig leaves? Why have you separated yourself from me? Why do you hide from your creator? Adam, where are you? Cain, where's your brother? Where's your brother? God knew where Abel was. He was with him. Why did he ask Cain where his brother was? It was an opportunity for repentance. Adam, where are you? Cain, where are you? Hagar, where are you going?" He knew where Hagar was going, didn't he know? Why is he asking her? "Hagar, where have you come from? and where are you going? Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? Did he not know? Why are you in this cave, Elijah? Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me, if you have understanding, what did I hang it on? One of my favorite questions in the Bible. Simon Peter. When God asks a question, he's not seeking enlightenment for himself. He's seeking enlightenment for us. And so when he asks Jonah, are you right to be angry? When I was speaking about the things earlier, did it make you unsettled, uncomfortable? If so, why? Why would it bother you? Did I say something untrue? Did it make you squeamish? Why do you do well to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. He just heads to the east and hopes for judgment against the people that he cares nothing about and, in fact, actively seeks their harm. He was a prejudiced man. And so God does something interesting for him. And in this, he teaches Jonah, hopefully. We don't see the conclusion. it's just left with a question. Something about God's love for the nations, how the nations got to where they are. He sets Jonah up for an object lesson. He knows Jonah's angry at him. He knows that Jonah's angry at him because God has spared Nineveh. Ultimately, Jonah's anger is not against the people of Assyria... His anger is against the God who made them, and God knows that. So Jonah goes and makes himself a little booth in the desert, and it's hot in the desert, cold at night, hot in the day. And God makes a little plant grow up and give shade for Jonah's head, and he got a big happy that he had this plant shading his head. He was greatly, exceedingly pleased, as you're Translation says that this plant was there. He enjoyed it. Maybe it had some beautiful flowers, shade for his head. He got very excited about that. And then God sends a worm that night, and it destroys the plant, and it collapses, and it dies, and he goes right back to having an exceedingly big angry. And when he's angry the next morning, the Lord comes to him and says, Jonah, are you right to be angry about the plant? And this time, Jonah can no longer hold his rage in check and says, Yes, I'm angry about the plant. I'm angry enough to die. Reminds me of the time that the prophet Nathan comes into David and tells him a little story about a man who only owned one little lamb, and a rich man who had a great flock came by and stole that man's little lamb that he used to take care of and sleep with to keep warm. He stole that lamb and he killed it and gave it to one of his rich friends. And then he asked David, what should be done to this man? And David said, surely this man deserves to die. Nathan said, you are the man. Today, the Lord has come to Jonah and says, are you right to be angry about a plant? A little plant and you're angry that I destroyed it. You did not plant it. You did not labor over it. You did not make it grow. It was here one day and gone the next, and you are so furious about its death that you are ready to die. Jonah, you're concerned for this plant. Should I not be concerned about this great city of Nineveh that has 120,000 people in it who do not know their right hand from their left and many cattle besides. Don't forget that. God even cares about the cows of Nineveh. After all, they wore sackcloth and were made to repent also. The Lord cared about the cattle. He cared about the people. See, Nineveh did not spring up out of nowhere. God made these people, ordained their government, and gave them constant care every single day. He knew their names. He knew their children. He watched their children play in the street. He saw them sing songs in fellowship. And he knew about their sin. It had reached him in the highest of heavens. And he knew all that they had done. He also knew it about Israel. He also knew it about any other city that was existent in that day. Do you think, does Jonah think that God does not care about the people of Nineveh? If it is right to care about a little plant, why would we not care about the Assyrians? Who had planted those people there? Who had grown them? Who had watched them day after day? And here is God sending a prophet to them to save their lives. And he doesn't want to go because he doesn't care about them. Jesus said it like this. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, right? The lily of the valleys are clothed in greater splendor than Solomon ever had. And God takes care of and feeds the sparrows. Are you not worth more than many sparrows? O ye of little faith? Jonah? Jonah. Are the people of Nineveh not worth more than the life of one plant that is here today and gone tomorrow? See, Joni, you've got to get your eyes off of just Israel as if that's the only place I care about. Buddy, my gospel is for the world and every creature in it. We get ourselves so focused on our little kingdoms, on our me and mine, that we forget about the nations and our nation as a whole can do this. Now, those outside the faith, of course, they're only concerned about themselves and theirs. But the church of Christ should be different. We see people in a different way. We should not see them as lesser or invaders. We should have eyes of compassion, hearts full of mercy. We are not the border guards. Our borders are open, not for the United States, but for the kingdom of God. Everybody can come in. The doors are open all day, 24-7. Jesus is the way. We're called on to minister to those in need. This time here is short. This nation's gone. It's a dust and a wind, as is every nation in the world. There is only one kingdom that will be here forever, and that is Christ's kingdom. And it is coming. It is coming. So as we look at Jonah here and his disappointment that God has saved the Assyrians, what would he call you to do? What is your message and your responsibility? Because you can't walk away from the book of Jonah or any other book in the Scripture, by the way, and remain unaffected. What is your job? You may not have to go to Nineveh, but you do need to go to your neighbor. However, your neighbor might be defined. And how did Jesus define neighbor? Anybody who needs your help is your neighbor. And it's very interesting in that story also, who helped the man who was waylaid on the road to Jerusalem? The Levite walked on the side of the road, right? The priest walked on the side of the road. Who helped the man? who was waylaid on the way to Jerusalem, a Samaritan. Samaritan. Don't overlook that point. Because a Samaritan was loathed by the people of Israel because they were half-breed people, listen to me, who had intermingled with the Syrians, Ninevites, the people Jonah didn't like. and That's the one who stopped and helped the man. He was the one who was a neighbor to the person waylaid on the road to Jerusalem, even though he was not of the same ethnicity, people group, possibly language. He stopped and helped. That was the one who gave help. And there's a reason Jesus said he was a Samaritan and he was a neighbor. This morning, the Bible says that Nineveh is a very great city, and I said this last week, 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. It doesn't mean that the people of Nineveh are dumb. He means that they do not have God's word and they cannot discern rightly what is wrong and what is right should I not send to them a prophet to tell them and to teach them. And that's where our story of Jonah ends. So, what would the Lord say to us today? Should I not care about Albertville, that great people, that great place? 30,000 people. Who knows how many know their right hand from their left? Birmingham, 210,000 souls. Montgomery, 200,000 souls. Tyre, where our friend Chris Todd labors, 117,000 souls. Probably the same number of. Immigrant refugees from Syria as there are native-born people. 120,000 displaced people who are living in tents and plastic huts. Does the Lord not care about them? Should he not be concerned that their children do not receive an education, a passport, and have little hope and food? Should the Lord not care about Dar es Salaam, that great city, where our friend Rejoice Labors. If Nineveh was a great city at 120,000 people, what does the Lord think of Dar es Salaam with 4.3 million people? Should he not care about that city? 50% at least who do not know their right hand from their left? Mexico City. Do you know how many souls are in the great city of Mexico City? 8.8 million souls. 8.8 million. Does not God not care about these? And so let's just go ahead and take Jonah's commission and just own it as ours. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has told us to go therefore into all nations. Was it only for the apostles? If so, why does he say, teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Is a baptism only for the apostles? As we go into all nations? So if we put that commission that God gave to Jonah right here on us, are you going to get on a boat to Tarshish are you going to go to Nineveh? you are you just going to play like if you stay home and keep your head down that it'll pass you by and it won't matter? You can't claim like Jonah did that you didn't get a word from the Lord because here we have it this morning. I am not the Lord, but this word's inspired. And I believe it means to apply to us. Should we not have care and compassion for those souls who don't know their right hand from their left? Shouldn't that be our first impulse? Our first instinct? If you see a child going across the street chasing his soccer ball, and you see that traffic is coming, is your first impulse to think the child shouldn't be in the street? Or is it to think I got to help this kid before he gets run over? We're called to be those who snatch people out of the fire like a hot brand. This is the commission of the New Testament. And so today, I wonder if our church is like the ship headed to Tarshish or if this thing's headed for Nineveh. And if you're on the way to Tarshish, I hope you get tossed out of the ship because this ship is headed for the mission field. This ship is taken to the gospel to every tongue and tribe and nation. Maybe you'll wind up there after you get to the belly of the fish. I don't know. We have a commission. We have a call. And it's our duty to see that our Lord Jesus receives the praise he deserves in every tongue, in every tribe, in every nation, that there are those who will hear and who will come because God has for himself a people everywhere. We may think, wow, it's not as easy as it is in Jonah. He goes and preaches and people repent. How do you know they won't if we don't try? And even if they don't, maybe we'll be like Isaiah. Maybe we'll be like Ezekiel. People's hearts will be hard. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change our commission. Let's just do what the Lord's called us to do. Head on the ship that's bound for Nineveh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.